It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul. Uh, fielding your calls this morning at 0818-103-103. It always makes me smile when I open the newspapers the, the day after the first day of the ploughing championship and there's always loads of uh, photographs and traditionally there's always loads of photographs of uh, children up to their neck in muck and lots of people walking around with very dirty Wellingtons. And you inevitably will have journalists warning people who are planning on attending the ploughing either today for day two or tomorrow uh, that they are warning people to bring rain gear and to wear Wellingtons. I think anyone who has ever been to a ploughing championship in the past regardless of the weather will always turn up in wellies. The people that don't turn up in wellies the ones that are there in their best uh, Nike trainers or their Converse runners or their Dubarry shoes are the real amateurs and the ones who have never been to a ploughing event uh, before. So lots of pictures in the papers again this year and today from yesterday's uh, ploughing. But actually when I'm thinking about the wellies, I think chest waders might have been more appropriate for yesterday because there was, uh, it was really, really mucky underground yesterday and there was large puddles of water. I heard one person describe it as brown rivers uh, for the opening day of the uh, event and the undesirable uh, conditions. It did actually see a drop in attendance for uh, day one when you compare it to last year. Just over 66,000 people passed through the entrance uh, gates of the National Ploughing Championship yesterday. That's well down on last year. Last year's first day had 91,500. Now, I'm assuming somebody who went on the first day last year will be able to uh, remember and tell me, was it good weather? It probably was uh, good weather-wise because traditionally the first day is always the slowest of the at three days but there was a third nearly a third less uh, attended yesterday but of course we had known that the forecast for yesterday was going to be the worst of the three days even though they were expecting there would be a lot more uh, mud today because there was rain forecast last night and I saw the Carlo weatherman um, Alan O'Reilly he was actually at the event uh, yesterday and he's advising people to uh, attend today 
that, that that mud that was there yesterday is going to be a little bit more muddier according to Alan because there was overnight rain uh, forecast but today there'll be a mixture there will be some blue uh, skies but there will be more uh, rain uh, as well but uh, today for people going to the ploughing it's going to be a milder day so you won't need as many uh, layers of uh, clothes. But the other thing that surprised me and I think it was Matty the Tipperary Independent TD Matty McGrath I think I heard him giving out about it as well. Uh, people that went to the event we know and we've been talking about the national ploughing and tickets for the event for the last number of months because of course they decided this year to put it up on online and they were getting people to pre-book their tickets and there was a bit of controversy about that because a lot of people in rural areas can't predict ahead whether they're going to go on the Tuesday the Wednesday or the Thursday a lot of people wait to see what the weather forecast is going to be like so people weren't going to be three months in advance predicting what day they would want to go to the ploughing but organisers of the ploughing were asking people to book their tickets online and the sting in the tail was if you booked for yesterday the first day with the worst of the weather you couldn't transfer the ticket to another day you had to attend on that day. Now they were also telling us that there may be tickets available at the gate. Now obviously yesterday there was tickets available at the gate because the maximum number that they can leave in for health and safety reasons is 100,000 people so there was a lot of tickets available at the gate yesterday and I don't know if it's going to be the same today or uh, tomorrow but they were saying to people you know you take your chances if you wait and pay at the gate because they would and they were going to accept cash at the gate initially they they'd said that they wouldn't but you're, you're taking a chance that you could get there and the 100,000 people could have entered and therefore you would have wasted a journey and for people who may have travelled three or four hours to have a waste of a journey. So again, it was encouraging people to book online. But as I say, yesterday, it wasn't an issue. You could have paid at the gate. But there is a sting in the tail. If you pay at the gate, it's five you are more expensive. If you book your tickets online, and I checked it this morning, booking it online for today or tomorrow, it's uh, €25 uh, entry. This is for a general adult admission tickets. I mean, it's I think it's 24 old age pensioners and uh, for students and children under 12 get in free but they have to be with a fee paying uh, adult uh, so booking it online is 25 euro but if you wait and go to the gate and pay at the gate uh, it's going to cost you 30 euro so it's a uh, 5 euro more expensive so it might be worth your while if you are planning um I assume if you were leave, if you were heading today, you're already well on your way. But maybe if you're planning on going tomorrow, I'd advise if you can at all possible book your tickets online because it will save you five at euro. Oh eight one eight, one o three one o three. The Irish Examiner today are talking about that children face having to travel ab- abroad for spinal surgery. This is amid fears that the long waiting list for operations is going to grow and obviously this is in, in the wake of the latest scandal to hit our health services and it was the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar speaking from New York yesterday. He said that the alarming issues that have emerged in relation to the surgeries for children at the Children's Health Ireland at Temple Street. He says it extends well beyond malpractice and he said it may actually involve wider failure of clinical governance. This whole story broke on Monday with the HSE announcing an external review into spinal surgeries. Now at the moment it involves 
uh, uh, 19 children who had operations at Temple Street. Now, sadly, one of those children has since died. Three children have had an unauthorised device implanted during treatment and others then went on to experience an unusually high rate of post-op complications. And for many of them, they needed then unplanned further surgery. Now, the consultant at the centre of the controversy, this is according to Children's Health uh, Ireland, they say it's a HR process that he is on leave at the moment there, but there it pains to point out he's not suspended. We do know that the clinician ceased complex spinal surgery at Children's Health Ireland in November and then he ceased all surgeries in July of this year. But in the midst of all of that and what's going on for those 19 children and for their families, there are 261 children waiting for spinal surgery across all of Children Health Ireland's uh, sites. And if you've seen some of these children and they've featured on some uh, television uh, programmes and I know on um, with Katie Hannan, up front with Katie Hannan, I saw one of the dads of one of the little children and he was so upset talking about watching his child in pain every single day waiting for this spinal surgery and the longer these children uh, wait uh, many of them, you know, it's, it's very complex spinal surgery that that they need. Many of them are as a result of, um, for example, spina bifida but the curvature of the spine keeps getting worse and worse and worse and the pain that these children go through and I think that's got to be the worst thing for any parent to have to sit and watch your child in pain and knowing the only way that you can get to the end of this pain is to have an operation And yet these children are put on uh, waiting lists. So for those parents to hear what was going on on Monday, their hearts must have sank because they immediately must have thought this is going to just add to the waiting times uh, for our uh, children. And given the already small number of medical experts that we have in this country who carry out these very complex procedures, Leo Varadkar yesterday uh, now saying that children may have to be sent to Britain or some may have to go to Germany in order to help alleviate the waiting lists and, and, and this is a quote from Leo. He said, I know the clinicians and some others don't like the idea that we will be building up a service abroad when we should be building our services at home. But he said sometimes that's the best option for children. And I imagine if you rang any of the parents of those 261 children waiting and said to them, we can get you an operation next week, but you're going to have to bring your child to Britain or you're going to have to bring your child to Germany, they would straight away jump on the plane. They would do anything to end the dreadful situation that their family and that their child uh, finds themselves in. And just last night, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly also confirmed that the HSE has now been told to explore all options to increase capacity for the surgeries and increasing capacity for surgeries does include outsourcing care both at home and uh, abroad and Stephen Donnelly says he's been told that the outsourcing is expected to start uh, this year and Kieran Tansy is with Damien Tansy solicitor and he is the solicitor who is representing a number of the 19 families that are currently involved in this external uh, review by the HSC and he said speaking on behalf of the families they're getting fed the information from the hospital 
hospital on a piecemeal basis, which really isn't good enough. He said uh, some have been through, some of the children have been through several procedures. Some of them, there's been sepsis uh, issues involved and obviously that has led on to further and different complications. And among the issues under investigation is this insertion of a device which was unapproved for use. Now, the solicitor was asked if the clients were informed that it was unauthorised before the device was used for the operation. And he said, no, they were not. They, they were not. They went into the operating theatre expecting a resolution. None of those families expected to end up on the front page at news. And Children's Health Ireland says the device has been removed from two children and the removal is being considered for a third uh, child. It seems that this particular unauthorised device that has gone in uh, to some of uh, the children, that it doesn't do what what it is meant uh, to do and that uh, it it won't hold. They're not confident it would hold in the child's back. Uh, So therefore, they've got to be uh, removed. And the families now are calling on Children's Health Ireland Hospital. Uh, Their families are asked to call because they're fearing further delays on on what are already long waiting times. And, you know, so much is the worry on behalf of the parents. And obviously, Children's Health Ireland are accepting this is really, really difficult for parents. And because of it, they have set up a helpline uh, that is open Monday to Friday just to talk to parents and I suppose in some way to try to give them some kind of dates even though listening to that dad on the TV the other night he and how many dates they got for their son uh, and he's never he still hasn't got the surgery I think he's waiting seven years it really is uh, beyond shocking Willie in Yall is picking up on the National Ploughing Championships and he thinks this new system for the Ploughing Championships whereby the organisers are asking people to book their tickets online in advance of the events is simply not going to work. He knows, for example, people who didn't go yesterday because of the weather forecast. But if they had already pre-booked their tickets, would they have to pay to get in on another day? Yeah, we checked that out. The tickets are non-transferable. If you booked for day one, didn't go on day one, you'd either have to rebook for day two or day three. I'll go to the gate and see if you could purchase a ticket at, at the gate. Uh, Willie said, at least when you're paying in cash, you decide on the day, what day you're going. And then if you change your mind, you're you're not losing out on the money. He feels that the ploughing, the National Ploughing Organisation will lose out over this. And he has been to the ploughing many, many times in the past. And he said he's never seen the event overcrowded in all of his years uh, attending. Uh, and and I will watch with great interest and no doubt, Willie, so will you uh, today when we get, because today traditionally day two is the highest number of attendees when you look back on all previous uh, ploughing national ploughing championships. So we'll watch with great interest uh, to see what are the figures for the numbers that pass through the gates today and what are the numbers that pass through the gates uh, tomorrow just to see our attendances down on last year and was it in any way affected by this notion of asking people to uh, pre- a book. But in fairness to Anna Mae McHugh, and she did speak to us at the time when it was announced that people had to pre-book their tickets. And and at the time she said it wasn't something that they just did on a whim. She explained to us that the reason that they've gone with this online booking system is 100% a health and safety issue that got identified because of the large attendance, I think it was on day two uh, last year, and she says there are huge health and safety measures. And if you're going to bring 100,000 people or more 
into a field, they have to adhere by all of the rules and uh, the regulations. And yes, sorry, I'm just uh, seeing uh, um, a piece from her uh, earlier uh, earlier in the summer where she said they came very close to capacity on the Wednesday of the event last year. So she said it's not all about the cash element, it's all about the attendance figures. So they were told that the capacity for the field would be 100,000 and if it went over that and obviously if people are just paying as they're walking in, they're clocking the numbers, suddenly they would have to stop and not allow people in. So that's why they came up with the idea of uh, people booking the tickets in advance. But is it going to affect uh, the overall attendance only time will tell, uh, Willie. We will watch with great interest. 0818103103. And a quick follow up on a story that we carried yesterday when I spoke with Mary Newman. Mary Newman, well known in Camogie circles, joined us uh, to talk about her uh, young niece, Ellie May, who uh, regularly travels with her Hurley. She's, she's a Camogie fanatic. And uh, she was travelling over to uh, England to visit her grandparents for a few days. And uh, when she went to hand that, now she carried the Hurley at Cork Airport. Wasn't a problem getting on the Ryanair flight. It went in with the buggy with one of her younger uh, siblings' buggy. And there wasn't a problem with it. It wasn't that she wanted to carry the Hurley onto the plane, but it went into the cargo hold. But it was when they got back to the airport in Manchester. person at the Ryanair check-in desk said, absolutely no way, and tried to get her parents to pay €60, which is probably more than what the Hurley is worth. They ended up leaving the Hurley behind in Manchester uh, Airport yesterday. Now, they did get a receipt for it and saying, we want our Hurley back. And lo and behold, Ellie May and her family got a phone call from Cork Airport to say, come up to the airport, your Hurley has arrived. (laughs) I don't know who brought it back, but anyway, it arrived and it didn't cost them €60. So uh, well done to everyone who got involved in helping out Ellie May. And there was a gorgeous uh, picture put up by uh, Finbar McCarthy, uh, Mary's husband, on Twitter last night. A great photograph of Ellie picking up her Hurley in time for her training last last night. (laughs) So she's all dressed up, ready to go uh, training and a great picture of her giving the thumbs up in front of a Ryanair express bag uh, bag drop sign I have to say but she's got the Hurley uh, in hand so it's a, a, a good result on that particular story. As we've already mentioned the National Ploughing Championships officially got underway yesterday and did you know a professional matchmaker is on site to help farmers find a potential wife or husband so if marriage is on the cards how many of those farmers would consider signing a prenup? to discuss the survey on the subject which has been conducted by the Irish Farmers Journal. I'm joined by Rachel Donovan who is a news reporter uh, with the Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, Rachel. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme and I believe you're joining us live from the National Ploughing uh, Championships. Uh, but firstly, let's talk about these prenups. What are farmers' views when it comes to signing a prenup before the big day? Yeah, so I suppose uh, farmers' views are that they would advise other farmers getting married to sign a prenup. Uh, funnily enough, um, results in the survey show that just 2% of, of the 2,000 farmers we surveyed actually signed one. 2% um, signed one and another 2% considered it, but then didn't actually go through with signing one. Um, but you have 4 in 10 farmers there, 40% of farmers who would advise another farmer getting married um, in the morning, they would advise them to, to sign one. But, um, but the problem with the prenup, Rachel, is they're not, I'm, I'm right in saying they're not legally binding in Irish law. No, they're not. And, and like they don't stand up in court. The judge may take it into account if they feel like doing, but um, not necessarily. Um, they're not, I suppose, you often hear people saying they're not worth the paper they're written on. But um, you're not, they're not, 
they're not legally obliged to take them into account. Um, so I suppose maybe that's why so many, so little people maybe don't actually go through with it. But you can see, you can see the benefits of it. And I suppose um, in this day and age, usually, I suppose, particularly with farmers, I suppose it was usually the farmer who was the, the breadwinner and he owned the land and um, maybe um, his wife or whoever might, may not have had that many assets. But nowadays, you know, it, it's not as one-sided and and there may be other houses or houses that they own or and rental income. So I suppose it, it, it's, it's definitely not as one-sided. It's a more logical or a sort of rational decision to make to, to sign a prenup. But I suppose bizarrely, what I, I thought was, was funny, um, that there's a, an agreement similar to a, a prenup, but it's for people who aren't married. So if, if um, you and your partner, you could sign a cohabitant or a cohabitation agreement. Yeah. And that does actually stand up in court. So that's a legally binding document where a judge would have to take both parties' assets um, into account, which is, I do think, it's, it's um, bizarre compared to a prenup where, you know, it really does have no... Uh, legal standing. And do you think farmers would like to see the law changed when it comes to prenups? Yeah, I think they do because, you know, there's a huge um, affiliation with, I suppose, land is the, is the biggest asset that farmers have and a farm land of any size is a huge is a huge financial asset. And there's, there's always that concern there um, in, in the back of farmers' minds of losing of losing land or, or not having it, having the same amount that they inherited, not being able to pass that that on to their to their future generations and in the same nick that they got it in. You know, mm. that's that's obviously a huge concern for them for them and um to be able to to leave the marriage with the same assets they entered in, I'd imagine it's something they they they'd be They'd, they'd be looking for. But it's not the most romantic thing to do, is it, to suggest splitting up before you've even walked down the aisle. It's a kind of a, it's a tough thing to bring up. It is, definitely. And I think maybe the farming community are, um, don't like bringing up our things to talk about in general, <laughs> let alone prenups. So it probably is a touchy subject um, before, as you say, before you get going at all. Um, but I do think it is the most logical thing to do and maybe you can see you can definitely see from from the the survey that there was only 17 percent of farmers who wouldn't advise one um there was 42 percent who weren't sure so i think the fact that they're not sure means that so that they would they're not totally against it yeah yeah and i think it's interesting that it's it's the people who are advising younger farmers or farmers getting married to sign the uh prenup uh, because you know a marriage breakup I'm assuming, uh, Rachel, it has caused farmers to lose part, if not all of their farm, and a farm that could have been in their family for many, many generations. Oh, yeah, for sure. It happens all over the country and it continues to happen. And it is it is a shame. It is a pity to see it happening. But unfortunately, um, that's what goes on. And I suppose that's the law and, and people are entitled to... They're, ent- they're entitled to their rights and, and that's the, when it's divvied up that's, that's how it happens but um, I do think farmers should, should should definitely consider looking at prenups and like it's not just from a male farmer's point of view there's lots of female farmers out there now who have their own farmland and, and get married and, and yeah, also, yeah. Ha- also have their, their own assets so, yeah, it works uh, equally for men and for women. But I'm also thinking the complications of if, God forbid, a marriage uh, breaks down and there are an, another generation also living on the farm, perhaps, you know, the the 
the in-laws who've signed over the land to a son or daughter. God, it can get, get really messy, can't it? It can. It can make things very messy. And I suppose farmers kind of see themselves as caretakers of the land. And so they might have been 40 years of age by the time they actually got it into their own name. So I suppose it's only for, for, for that maybe 20 years or so that they, they actually have it. And, and I suppose their their main thing is, is to look after it. But it, do, it does happen. It does happen where it's broken up. And I suppose that family generation, it doesn't get passed on. Mm. Even if, if son or daughter is actively farming on the farm, you know, it's, it's a messy situation. Yeah. Okay, well, well done on the survey because I think it's great. It just gets the debate up and uh, up and running and it does get people talking about it. Now, talk to me about the uh, ploughing. Were you there yesterday? I, anything I saw online or on the on the TV, it looked like a mud bath in parts of it. It did. We were <laughs> swimming here yesterday. Um, conditions have improved. Great. Um, a good bit yesterday. Uh, I would describe yesterday, if it was a race course, you would say it was unraceable. <laughs> but uh, going was soft. But today, a lot better. And I see people, I'm looking out at the media tent here, people still have their wellies on, but um, it's a lot more trafficable. And I think there was a good bit of work done overnight. Um, the roadways were cleared off and there was new, um, that, that there was, I think there could have been slurry tanks even in, sucking away some of the, the excess. Um, Great to, to make. And, and the forecast, I know yesterday was the worst of the three days for rain. So hopefully uh, it won't rain as much today or uh, tomorrow. And attendance then yesterday down on yeah. the first day from last year. Was that weather related, do you think? Yes, there were 66,000 came through the gates yesterday. I'd imagine it did hurt some people. Although from just what we're saying amongst ourselves, the crowds don't seem to be as big as the Wednesday today as the Wednesday last year. Wednesday is usually the big day where mm. people hit for hit for leash. But um, we haven't got any figures now as of yet. But um, I do think yesterday definitely the weather was a factor. It, it, the rain was torrential here. No matter where you went, you got wet, and no matter what you had on you, it was it was very hard to avoid it. We had a couple of uh, callers um, earlier saying about the booking online and f- feeling that the booking online is going to affect attendance. Would you agree? Disagree? Well, um, I'm, I'm not so sure. You know, I was at the gate yesterday before it opened. They opened at 8 o'clock and there was, there was a mixture of people, people who had bought tickets online. There was people who wanted to pay with cars on the day. Um, yeah, so there was, there was opportunities for people to, to take either avenue. And I do think, I know the tickets are five or dearer if you if you buy them here. They're 30 euros if you buy them on the day and they're 25 if you buy them online in advance. So I suppose it's up to people themselves what they want to do. Um, but they had said, the National Planning Association had said that there would be, un- unless um, there is excess tickets and capacity hasn't been reached, that they're... Unless capacity had been reached, there would not be tickets available on the gate. So I suppose it's a chance that people take come mm. and leave at home. Um, I suppose the best advice probably would be to to buy in advance. Yeah, and I, I just checked there before I came online with you. I mean, you can buy your tickets this morning for today. You could be outside the event and purchase your tickets online. It will save you the fiver, if nothing else. Yeah. OK, listen, enjoy the rest of the National Ploughing, uh, Rachel. And the welly throwing competition, to try and set the record, that's with Macris. Now, that's on today. It's going ahead. Um, I think as we speak, very, very shortly, shortly. So did you there. not? Did you not bring a welly with you to take part? 
I did, I did, but I, I'd have to, I'd have nothing to, on my feet anyway <laughs> if I threw these ones. Like, so keep them on your feet, keep them on your feet. <laughs> Listen, yeah. Rachel, pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Enjoy the ploughing. Thanks a million. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Rachel Donovan, a news reporter with the Farmers uh, Journal, joining us live from the National Ploughing uh, Championships. Historic IRA etchings found on the walls of the old Bridewell Jail connected to the former Canturk Courthouse were discovered a couple of years ago and have been described at the time as a rare relic of the War of Independence. To discuss what needs to be done now to preserve this piece of history, I'm joined by Cork Northwest Fianna Fáil Deputy Michael Moynihan Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. And, and you wake up, I suppose we need to go back. It was the summer of 2021, if my memory serves me right. Just remind us of, of uh, when and how uh, these etchings were discovered. Well, I suppose those, those have been there for quite a long time and they were in the public mindset uh, for people who would have been using the court or the court buildings. But in the last couple of years, a greater understanding of what was actually there, the graffiti that has been there. And we have uh, a very powerful and very hardworking group have set up uh, to preserve the Cantor Courthouse and have been working to try and bring, um, I suppose, to save what are national monuments. These are monuments going back to the War of Independence and the Civil War. And there's some fantastic drawings there of Countess Markovich, Arthur Griffith. There's some of the battleships that were in the First World War. So some people who had been in the First World War and subsequently in the War of Independence, and they have these drawings are powerful illustrations and powerful artistic form. Uh, and then, of course, there's messages and writings from um, uh, people to their loved ones and uh, messages about um, uh, Sean Mylan, a reward of £1,000 for his capture. And uh, people from Kerry, Cork, East Cork, Lockray and Galway, who have signed their names, had been incarcerated there at various stages during the War of Independence and the Civil War. And this is in the Bridewell attached to the the courthouse, which has been it hasn't been used for several and several decades, and of course has fallen into disrepair. In the summer of 2021, we raised awareness with it, and we got the onto the court services, and they put temporary structures in place to preserve it, put a tarpaulin on the roof and so forth. Mm. But that was always only temporary. And like what we have here is national monuments. There was only three prisons in the entire country, the Cock Women's Prison and Kilmainham Jail, where graffiti survived from that period, from the War of Independence and the Civil War. They have been preserved, but the one in Kentuck hasn't. And like there is, like, that's a real shame. It's it's it is a real real shame. And has it has it since you started highlighting it two years ago? Has it become almost a tourist attraction? Well, if we could get in there, of course, you know. Prior to that, actually, the doors were open. The doors are falling off. You know, they were, but it has been sealed up since. But the amount of people that would love to get in there, yeah. you know, thankfully, you know, some excellent photographers. Uh, is some amateur photographers but some excellent photographers have taken recordings of what was there and we did from the court the court restoration committee did get professionals to do some work on it as well and have taken but the interest you know people from America people from uh, Auckland New Zealand contacted me recently that they had seen the stuff off online and could they get a better photograph of one family member that they believed to be their great great grandfather Yeah so suddenly they're seeing the signature of one of their descendants because it's their signature is up on on this wall. Correct, yeah. And ah. like, the, 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 you know, from a historical point of view, you know, we have the huge
huge amount of history that's there. The, the frustration, I suppose, you know, people that were incarcerated there, that were in there, you know, and this is what they put their mind to, the drawings, the drawings of Arthur Griffith and the co- drawings of Countess Malkovich. And even in the last two years, to see it decaying before our eyes, and I have to say on a personal level, I feel huge pain that it is decaying because if it is lost, it is lost forever. Forever, yeah. And we have yeah. done a huge amount of work to, uh, to I suppose, to, to get uh, the court services on board and the state. And if you take it, right, if it was a private individual who had this national monument on their land and if it was left to decay, the state would be prosecuting them for the decay of a national monument and they would be challenging them. Here is something that is in the ownership of the state, and it needs to be preserved. We need, like, if you look at all the history that has been preserved all over the country, it has added enormously. And even over the summer months in Cantork, you know, we had the Bandon Historical Society came to look at it and look at the history in Cantork. And there's a huge mesh of, huge amount of history going back to the uh, Hanashihi Skeffington and to, you know, even back to the, the famine, to the, the, the repeal by Daniel Connell, the speeches that were given there, and even to the, the twist case, all of that information. And uh, people are coming now from the Georgian Society, but we've had huge engagement with, you know, conservationists, with architects, with people on a voluntary capacity have given their advice and come to look at it. But it is time for the state to, you know, to preserve a proper roof on the building. The photographs that we shared with you there were, were you know, the tarpaulin has broken around the chimney. But there's water now getting in as we head into the winter. And it is going to further decay. Yeah. And, and of course, these, we have to remind listeners that they, the courthouse sittings, they were discontinued in, in 2010 when they right. uh, relocated to Mallow. So the building has been empty. That's 13 years now the building has been empty. It has, yeah. And the building itself, right, is one of the only on the island of Ireland and the island of Britain. It was designed by the Payne brothers, but it's the only one that's non, you know, other court buildings that were de- designed haven't retained their original uh, structure. It's, the, it, it's unique uh, in Ireland. It was built over just around 200 years ago. It was opened uh, around 200 years ago, give or take a year. And it was you know, there's a huge uniqueness there. And, you know, the the information that we've got from people in the committee and that they've reached out on the Payne Brothers, the architecture, the structure and all of that and the, the, the workmanship in it. But I suppose to bring it back to, you know, where we are at at the moment, the graffiti, the drawings, the writings from the War of Independence and the Civil War, which is a hugely important part of our history as we go forward, they are decaying before our eyes. And mm-hmm. it is in the state services. It's owned by the OPW, or the, for the court services. And we have engaged with the court services on a number of occasions. There was some temporary work done by the court services, the OPW, going back a year or a year and a half. But that is no longer the case. It is now hugely important that these are preserved for future generations of people. And I think that, you know, people will be studying them, looking at, you know, what's the connection between the battleships that were used in the First World War and those that were uh, uh, incarcerated during the War of Independence and the, and the Civil War. Were some of these people uh, in the, for, uh, the the First World War and then went on to fight for the Irish uh, independence in the in the Civil War and, the, uh, and in the War of Independence? So there's huge amount of information that we could. Be yeah, looking it's at. just it's absolutely steeped in history. And yeah. and and I assume, uh, Michael, in an ideal world, you would convert the old building into a museum. 
Well, I think that myself, you know, and the Courthouse Committee have turned off that work in terms of what were we going to turn it into. There is a huge amount for a museum, not alone just for that period that's in the in the Bridewell attached to it, but also to showcase the important history that is, is within the Duhalla region. You know, you go to the Battle of Knocknanus, you go to the various repeal uh, discussions, the meetings that were held by Daniel O'Connell, you go to the uh, the famine, you go, there's a whole pile of history. D.D. Uh, Sheehan, who was an MP from Cantor, and uh, the housing policy that he brought through, all of that can be showcased. And I think there's also, you know, the, a museum and a cultural hub because there's a huge amount of history within the Duhalla, the Cantor region, you know, that's disappearing before our eyes. And we have to take credit to all those who have written books and, and, and put out papers on the history because it would be lost. Okay. But I just think, just, I just think myself that here we have is a piece of history. It is decaying because of the faster and the 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 with, with the dampness coming in. It should be preserved like it has been done in Dublin and in Cork because it's part it's part of our very fabric. It's preserved for future generations and ensure that. What was there? Uh, if it was in is there in for the future generations? I want you to stay there because Sheila in uh, Tullinese has a family connection. If you can turn down your radio, uh, Sheila, because we're we're in delay. Can you, thank you. Uh, okay, your your is it was it your father you reckoned was incarcerated in this jail? Yes, my father uh, Dan Gini was his name. He was from Kiskeen. Yeah, he was incarcerated in the Bridewell during the Civil War. Now I don't know if my father left graffiti on the walls. But his comrades did. And is that all going to be allowed wash away? But it is possible that your dad might have scratched something into the wall. It is possible, yes, yeah. but I, I don't know. Yeah. And that that is the point, right? You know, there isn't a lot of it, you know, that has that's legible, I suppose, at this stage. But there's a lot more of it that's there and has decayed. And how long were they? They were there. Dan Guinea was there. Uh, and others were there. And it's a living history. Yeah. You know, it's a connection. You know, there are people like Sheila's first generation movement and there's people all over, not just Duhalla and the Cantor region, but like I say, there's inscriptions there from Lockray and Galway, there's inscriptions there from Kerry, from Mill Street, from East Cork. They all have a connection to it. And, and Sheila, do you, do you think it's important to, for your father's memory and for his comrades' memory that, we, that we, we preserve these vital. It's, we're letting something that is so important being to be washed away. Yeah. But my father sacrificed his, his life, his comrades. They, they didn't know whether they were going to survive, survive the War of Independence, but they kept fighting. And as, they, as their memory to be washed away... Yeah, and I'm thinking of some of those young men when they would have been, you know, writing their writing those, putting those etchings up on the wall. Michael, for some of them, it, they didn't know if that was going to be their last night on earth. It's for some of them, yeah, and particularly, you know, there, there were some of them that were uh, they were arrested, and that on the circumstances of their arrest, they would have been they 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 could have been executed. They yeah. quite and, and like they were held in Cantor for a number of, of 
weeks or months, and in some cases some were kept there for shorter periods and were transferred to Limerick and to the Curra and other places and to, to you know to other barracks. But they they really didn't know what the future held yeah. for them. And I mean, that's why those etchings are so important. And with your dad, uh, Sheila, do you know how long he was in the the jail in Kandark? I would say it was probably only a few nights. And then where I, where did he go? He was transferred from there to Cork Jail and from there to the Curra. He's been nine months in the Curra. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you'd love to get inside and take a look. I would, of course. Yeah. But more importantly, I want it preserved. For future generations. Yes. Yeah. For my yeah. children. Yeah. For, for my brothers. Yeah, and, there, and there's people all over the world who have descendants uh, whose writings are on the wall will say the very same thing. OK, listen, keep fighting the fight, Michael, and keep us updated on this. OK, and, thank you very uh, much and thank you for the time to hear it. Uh, it's hugely important our pleasure. Uh, part of our, our history and our heritage that we need preserved and we need to fight very hard to make sure it is preserved. OK, and Sheila, thank you for joining yeah. us and for remembering your, your dad as well. Thank you for that. We got an email from Ruth in Athlone, who joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you, Ruth. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you for having me Well, on. you're very welcome to the programme because you come and you want to give thanks to some people who helped you out. Now, take me back. This was uh, just last Sunday. What happened to you? Well, last Sunday, I did it then on Saturday, and my youngest, the youngest was going to college. She's doing nursing in UCC. And um, I Googled, I, I Googled, and my phone is terrible with Google. I thought I was getting back to the M8 for Dublin. And I wound up going out the Dublin Road of Cork, and I was so full of emotion, I suppose I wasn't really paying attention, but I was very aware that I needed to get to a diesel station. And I didn't use one, I'd say, for 40 or 50 KMs, just looking at Google Maps now. And um, I had stopped in a village just outside the Castletown Road to ask the people in the pub there where the nearest diesel station was. So they directed me to Castletown Roach, but unfortunately my camper van died just outside of the village. <laughs> it, was, it was about quarter, quarter past seven. I had a little pair of shoes on me, no cardigan. I got out of the camper van without my phone. I was in such a panic. But I got to the diesel station. It's uh, Frankie Nash Jr., and he so helpfully gave me a container and filled me up with 17 litres, I think it was, and asked a local artist gentleman, Mr. Michael Roach, would he bring me back to the camper van, yeah. which he duly did. And when I got there, there was another gentleman directing the traffic because my huge fear was that there was going to be an accident and it would be my fault. But he had stopped his own car and he was directing the traffic around my camper van. I didn't catch his name because when we put the diesel back into the car and Michael did that for me, the the camper van wouldn't start. But Michael was really encouraging and he just said, pump up the clutch and it started. So I suppose I didn't want to, I didn't want to delay then. I got on the road, but I'd like to... Thanks, the three musketeers down in Cork. Oh, isn't that great? Isn't that mm. great? And Cork people can be the nicest people, Ruth, you can meet. And if they can help you out in any way, they will. And that's exactly uh, what you found on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it's so heartwarming 
because when you leave your baby down in Cork, I know. it's so far away from me, but you know that she's surrounded by lovely people. And, 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 and did you ring her and tell her about your saga and getting home to Athlone? Oh, I did, of course, yes. You were on the phone the whole time. <laughs> and how, how, how was she settling in? Great. She? Parties last night and parties the night before. So. <laughs> That's all part of going to college, Ruth. Yeah. So have you, have you an empty nest now at home? I have a bit of an empty nest. My son is still at home. Oh, he, works, he works in that loan. So, you know, but it, is, it, is, along. it is hard when the youngest goes, isn't it? When the baby goes. Horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah. yeah. Look, thanks be to God that they're well and they can... They can fly the nest. Yeah. That's what you want for them. And she's going into a great profession, nursing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and badly needed. All right, listen, um, delighted to speak with you, uh, Ruth, and hopefully uh, Michael Roach is listening and Frank Nash and the other nameless man is listening as well. A big thank you from Ruth in Athlone. Listen, lovely to speak with you. Thanks very much. Thank you for that. And thanks for reaching out. Bye bye. And I love, we love, love, love doing that. Love acknowledging when people are kind and helpful. And sure, wouldn't we all uh, help out somebody like that? And you can imagine driving along in the camper van and you're seeing them running on a sniff of diesel and suddenly the whole thing just stops. 0818-103-103. So well done to those three uh, gentlemen uh, showing how kind we are here in uh, Cork. Now, I mentioned earlier about what's going on in the children's hospital with the school operations and it's just to think of those poor families and what those families are going through and says Patricia I listened to you speak about what's happening with the scoliosis operations and I saw some of those poor children on the news uh, last night something has to be done with the HSC it should be brought to court with all of the terrible mistakes that are being made and the treatment that they're giving to some people it's disgraceful Suzanne and it's actually sickening and now this new scandal with these poor innocent little children suffering so much pain and the medical profession knowing how important it is that these children are operated on as quickly as possible so that they can go on to lead a fairly normal life. I thank the Lord every day that my children and my grandchildren don't have any health problems but I do feel so sorry for the parents of these poor children. That's from Anne. Thank you Anne. And actually Michael is pointing out that that some of those children who are waiting for surgery for scoliosis they would be entitled to go to the Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast because it will be covered under the cross-border uh, directive. Uh, and the Kingsbridge Private Hospital is a hospital we often speak about on the programme because that's where people go for the cataract operations, the Belfast are blind bus, uh, the Michael Collins in West Cork runs and we know people have gone for hip operations, knee operations. I don't know, Michael, if they do scoliosis operations because I do know this particular type of spinal surgery is very, very uh, specialised and I think that's why Leo Varadkar was saying there are some hospitals in the UK, in in, in England that offer this very specialised uh, operation and also in Germany. So I don't know if Kingsbridge actually offer that or not. But what Leo Varadkar was talking about sending the children overseas would be uh, it would be under that similar uh, scheme whereby the HSE would pick up the tab uh, for it. 0818 uh, Someone else was on about when I mentioned about Ellie May 
getting her uh, Hurley back. Um, Anne in Baden Temple says, great news this time. Delighted to hear that Ellie May got her Hurley back. Uh, this That was one of my rants yesterday. Uh, well done to you for making it uh, happen and for highlighting the Hurley prop problem in the public. Well, there was a lot of media got involved and, and hopefully that did help in some way to get it on a plane and get it back to Cork. And also referencing yesterday... Uh, if you were tuned our way yesterday, I read out a letter, a handwritten letter that we received from listener. Now, I didn't call out her name um, uh, 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 just to say that she was from a town in the county. That was as much information as I gave. And she was just she was describing what she said in her letter that she's living next to the neighbour from hell. And she was talking about the fact that the neighbour had power washed the adjoining wall. And by power washing the adjoining wall, he'd also ended up power, power washing the roof of her shed. And because of the constant power washing, she says her roof of her shed uh, now needs to be repaired. And also when some of the power washing was going on, some white stuff, some kind of chemical cleaner that he was using ended up on her flower beds. She was also talking about how the trampoline, his trampoline had ended up in her garden. Uh, he, he hadn't secured it properly. It was there for three days. She had to go back and tell him to please take your take your trampoline back out of my garden. And then there was another issue where his chimney had to be repaired and some of the mortar fell into her garden and she said she could go on and on with a, a litany of things like that that have happened. Now I was making the point to communicate and talk with the person, particularly on the power washing issue maybe he's not aware that I thought maybe he's, you know, as an act of kindness, he's power washing her shed as well and not realising that it's damaging the roof. Well, somebody else is thinking the same way as me. Neve was listening to me reading out the letter on the repeat show uh, last night and she says, I have a feeling that the neighbour was actually just trying to help this woman. Maybe it's role reversal. Maybe she's the neighbour from hell and just can't see it. We had cows that came into our lawn and actually made quite a bit of a mess and put holes and everything uh, in it. But what do we do? We just got on with it. These type of accidents and incidents uh, happen. Uh, it happens to all of us. Nobody goes about it deliberately. And I'm assuming the same as I'm saying, get into conversation with uh, the neighbour and, and hopefully you will be able to uh, sort it out. 0818103103. We spoke about prenups earlier when I spoke with the Irish Farmers Journal live from the National Ploughing Championship and they have a, a survey in the current edition of the Farmers Journal where they asked people about prenups and um, four in ten farmers say that they would recommend farmers getting married to sign a uh, prenup. Well some people on that, uh, hi Patricia this is Jim, um, I married eight years and I would never ever have considered a prenup uh, because I feel I would be so lonesome about the idea of talking about splitting up before you're even married. I would be more lonesome if my wife left me than being left with the old farm. To me, that's why so many bachelor farmers live in this country. They're too mean to get married or they're too afraid to get married and too fearful that they will lose the farm. And then on the flip side of all of that, somebody said, Patricia, this is a very, very sensitive subject to me because I was married to a farmer. He treated me, his wife, with nothing but domestic violence. And now his children, he's treating them the very same ongoing abuse. He's never helped them out, just the odd few pounds here and there. I didn't take his farm, but when I think back on it, I should have. I'll never be the same again. And yet you speak with anyone in the community where he lives and everybody thinks he's uh, an angel, one of those street angel house devils. And that's the other side of why marriages break down. And I know marriages break down for a whole host of different reasons. But when there's any 
kind of domestic uh, violence involved. You just had to get out. And you're right, you, you could have. I don't know how long uh, you were married, but uh, you didn't go after uh, the farm. And listen, all we can do is hope that you're, you're, you have a better life now. I'm always saying you're better off being on your own and happy than with someone and miserable. And it does sound like you had a miserable, miserable life with the man that you were married uh, to. So we wish you nothing but uh, love and happiness for the rest of your life. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. The wonderful Donkey Sanctuary in Lascara. They've got a vacancy at the moment. They're looking for a veterinary nurse. CVs, please, to joanne.nevin at thedonkeysanctuary.ie. General operatives are wanted uh, within a food environment. It's to work in Ballyvorney. You can call 086 176 9656. A bus escort is wanted. Now, this is to cover sick leave, which will start on the 18th of October. You apply marking your envelope bus escort position and send it to the chairperson of the Board of Management, Skull Eusagon Infant School, Spa Glen in uh, Mallow. Now, this job, obviously, the appointment is subject to Garda vetting. And Ashgrove Renewables in Mallow, they've got a vacancy for a technical support administrator and a business support administrator. You email hr at ashgrove.eu. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. By the way, Michael has been back on from uh, West Cork uh, to say that he was the one who, when we were talking about the scoliosis and the people waiting for the operations, those children waiting for the operations, and he had mentioned uh, Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast, where I said the cataract operations go on and the knee and hip uh, replacements. And he was saying that, you know, families could apply there to have the scoliosis operations done under the cross-border uh, directive. And I said I wasn't aware if Kingsbridge did those operations. But Michael did his own research for us this morning. He said he contacted them. He checked in with Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast and he said they do the scoliosis uh, operations, which is fantastic. So thank you to Michael for that. Now, following an EU Commission report, which was published in June of this year, which showed that Ireland has the highest rate of loneliness in the EU. The Loneliness Task Force is now calling on the government to tackle the issue with an urgent need for investment in the forthcoming budget. Catherine Cox is with Family Carers Ireland and Catherine is part of the task force and uh, she joins me. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks oh, for having well, me. Well, always great to talk to you. I suppose, firstly, can you just tell me a little bit about the task force on loneliness, who's involved and when and why it was set up? Yeah, so um, the Loneliness Task Force, it's a coalition of organisations and individuals who work to address loneliness. Um, it was set up um, during, I suppose, I think actually it might have been just before COVID, but obviously during COVID, um, it became extremely busy. Um, now, it's a colleague of mine, Claire Duffy, that sits on the force on behalf of Family Cares Ireland. But it's organisations such as Family Cares Ireland, Alone, um, Disability Federation of Ireland, you have Winter Natira, uh, Jigsaw, the Alzheimer's Society, Samaritans Ireland. So 
all, a lot of organizations working in local communities and supporting people's physical and mental health and well-being. OK, so um, it, was, all the it was set up well before this report was published in June. It was indeed, absolutely, and has been working um, over the last number of years trying to tackle this issue of loneliness. And, you know, it's such a shame to think that we live in a country where we have always prided ourselves on community support, looking after one another, neighbourly. And yet we're now, unfortunately, the highest on the league table for loneliness um, when you compare it to other countries in Europe. Um, so it really is something that we need to tackle. And, you know, loneliness can have such an impact on people's physical and mental health and well-being. And if we don't address it, you know, it be becomes a huge cost into the future as well. So it is something that needs to be tackled as a, as a matter of urgency. Well, and that's why and look, the task force. Yes, yeah, sorry. Look, go on, looking, at, looking at that EU report, though, I mean, it found 20 percent of Irish participants felt lonely. Well, that's a very high figure. It is. Can I tell you something? We did our own research with family carers um, in 2022 and actually 51% of family carers told us they feel severely lonely and 71% of those carers told us they feel left out of society. Um, so it is a particular issue for family carers, given the nature of their role, the fact that they can often be isolated um, and don't have maybe the connectivity. They're not able to go out in evenings, partake in pastimes and other activities. But it's also an issue for older people, for younger people, particularly as well during COVID and coming out of it for the LGBT community. So this is something that you know, goes across all ages, all genders, all groups in society. Um, so that's why it is so important to tackle it and ensure that we support people and support people in their local communities to be able to be active and engage, whether that's in, you know, activities, going out for a walk, meeting friends. For family carers, that can be very difficult, given mm. the nature, again, of their role. Um, but it's so important that we we, first of all, I suppose, conduct research on this as well, because there isn't much research on Ireland. Um, this is that EU survey is probably one of the first. So we do need more research around the impact, um, how we can tackle it. But also we need to raise awareness of this issue as well, because, you know, somebody doesn't need to be living in rural Ireland to feel isolated or lonely. They could be in a very busy city, but would be confined to their own home and not, you know, have friends outside, despite the fact that they're living in a, a busy community. Yeah, I remember many years ago talking to a man who lives in the middle I, I, I don't know if God bless him he's still with us or not but he was an elderly man uh, living in the middle of the city and he used to spend his whole day just looking out the window at uh, people passing and he said you know nobody ever called mm. and you know it was just so sad uh, to listen to him and as you mentioned you know you know, we are a nation who prides ourselves on the strength of our, of our community. As do you think, as as society, are we not seeing the loneliness of people living amongst us? I mean, is is that one of the problems? We're just not seeing it. I, I think it is. Um, and I think, you know, while government has um, committed in their programme for government for tackling that, it's probably not on the height of their agenda. Um, I think there are other issues that are taken priority. Um, I suppose it's a bit like I go back to family carers as well. Because carers care for loved ones out of love, it's taken for granted, yeah. you know. And so therefore, um, it's not maybe they wouldn't see it, for example, as an election issue. So they're not going to, you know, push that. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So I think we need to, first of all, raise awareness about the impact that loneliness can have on people um, and the impact if it's not addressed and if people are not supported to engage with their communities. And, you know, that means supporting organisations that work with groups, be it Family Cares Ireland, you know, be it Acquired Brain Injury Ireland or whatever groups are working in the community. We have said to government, you need to support those groups and resource them um, to support people in their local community. And after COVID, so many things went online, which is great and really works for lots of people but there are others out there that still want to get back to that you know face-to-face communication and connectivity and whether it's in a parish hall or a hotel or whatever just meeting people engaging having that social interaction so that is really important and one of the things Family Cares Ireland we're trying to do is ensure that we have those groups and we get back to you know that that where we were before COVID because lots of services have still not opened fully Mm. you know so we we do need to be able to engage people where they live in the local community and support them there. And things like tidy towns, men's sheds, they're so important for people. And again, particularly maybe in rural areas, just bringing people out of their homes, getting to meet people and have that social interaction so that they don't feel isolated and they don't feel alone. And I suppose certainly for um, family carers, you know, and this was a problem before COVID, but it's definitely got worse since COVID. Little or no uh, respite, uh, problems with trying to get um, home help, home support. That just Mm -hmm. further isolates, doesn't it, the family carer? Absolutely. Um, And again, you know, we have family carers who haven't had respite in years, never mind months. Um, So they haven't had that chance to get a break from their caring role. Um, They haven't had a break. They haven't had a holiday. You know, so many family carers, they have to fight for everything, whether it's, you know, a therapy, education for a child with disability, a wheelchair, equipment for their loved one. It's a continuous battle. And to have 
isolation and loneliness on top of that um, is just can have such a negative impact on a person's mental and physical health. Um, so so for us, uh, there, there are so many challenges and, you know, we're coming up to budget now in the next few weeks um, and we hear horrific stories. You just mentioned, you know, that situation where children waiting years to have uh, um, operations, you know, which if they don't have their whole life, <clears throat> excuse me, is is so negatively impacted. And early intervention, early supports for children with disabilities, for adults, and early supports for family carers mean their journey, you know, is less of a battle. And our motto, Family Cares Ireland, is no one should have to care alone. Reality, the reality is so many thousands are doing just that and having to, you know, bear their souls sometimes to the nation to get whatever they need. So it's such an unfair and an unjust system. And we really want government to, to really listen, you know, to listen to what the needs are of family carers, but also older people and uh, people living in communities where they're feeling that sense of loneliness and isolation and to tackle that and to really listen and to really see the work that they do and the value, particularly for carers in our society. And hopefully then they will prioritise them in their upcoming budget and really put in place supports uh, for to reduce that isolation, but also give them the resources they need to care safely. Yeah, because we really are still uh, recovering from COVID in uh, many ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I only a few weeks ago spoke with one of the groups advocating on behalf of older people talking about, you know, that awful cocooning word that people hated mentioning. But for a lot mm-hmm. of older people, they found it very, they're still finding it hard to go back out and to re-engage uh, with uh, society and it's you know it's and that's just leading to these are people who maybe were never lonely before because they had an active social life and they were you know mm-hmm. they were part of the choir they were part of a knitting group they might have gone to the men's shed whatever it was and for some of them mm. they're still very fearful and they they're, they're not venturing out it's true. And I mean, I know we're, we're hearing now of more cases of COVID as well in the, yeah. in the community. Um, and that's adding to that fear um, and that sense of, you know, loneliness as well, that if I go out, this could impact. Um, so, you know, it's it's so important as well that we keep uh, the, those online supports going as well, because one thing COVID did do is it, it made us, you know, I suppose, um, change the way we we can engage and talk to people. One of the examples is we started a counselling service. I mean, five years ago, we would never have thought that counselling could be done online. We just would have said it wouldn't be possible. But it actually, we had to do it and it worked. Um, and so it has allowed us, I suppose, to be a little innovative. But again, you know, online is not for everybody. You know, there are people in the community that are not online, don't have computers or don't, for whatever reason, want to go online. So it's so important that we ensure that the supports and services that we provide can be online, but also we have that face-to-face contact. For some people, it might be the first person um, that somebody sees. And one of the people who spoke, they, the submissions to the uh, Loneliness Task Force, talked about how they went to a cafe every day just to sit there so they could see other people and hear their conversations, but sat there on their own. My God. You know, so... so yeah, it, it it is, and you know, we I, I think it's really important as well that everybody in our communities um, and in our towns that you know we have a think about who our neighbours are and whether they're in a town or a city, 
you know, maybe pop in and see how they're doing. Or, you know, if you see somebody on their own, maybe just offer that that friendship if somebody is new to a community um, or if somebody, you know, is living on their own. Just offer that, uh, I suppose, hand of friendship and see if you can do anything for them or, you know, if there's anything just just to know they're there um, and that they know you're there if they need somebody to, to talk to. So and I know there was there was a commitment in the programme for government to address uh, loneliness and that's why the task force, I mean, they're calling for five million in funding. Now, to you or I, five million sounds a lot, but in the scheme of things, five million is not a lot of money to come out of the up and coming no, budget. It, it, it really isn't. Um, in fact, it, it's pittance when you think of, you know, the budget that is there. And I think that five million is to look at supporting organisations already working with uh, communities, um, whether it's, again, family carers or whether it's older people. But it's also part of that is to look at an awareness campaign, getting everybody involved, because this isn't just a government issue. This is a whole of society issue. So we all need to be aware that there could be people in our society, in our community who might be lonely. Um, so we do need that awareness, but we also need some more research as well to see, well, what would be um, interventions that would be, you know, have the most benefit for people in the community and whether that's older people or younger people. Um, so that five million um, really, as you said, you know, in the overall scheme of things, tiny, it's very little tiny to, yeah, of money. to ensure and to support people's mental and physical health. And, you know, like this is uh, an issue of huge importance. And, you know, the, the task force talked about how if you look at things like um uh, obesity, you know, that that's been tackled because they can see the negative impact that that can have on a society. Yet loneliness and isolation has been ignored, really. So we do need to tackle this because as if this grows and if people become more lonely, more isolated, then that has a very big impact on our health services as well. So yeah, it's because a it does, issue. It, it does lead to health difficulties and can, and it can ultimately lead to death. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and mental health difficulties as well. And, you know, our mental health services are, all, you know, also extremely under pressure, um, probably uh, at their worst, in fact, that they have been for years, particularly uh, CAMS and our younger uh, for younger people. Um, so this is something that if we don't address, we are definitely storing up hurt and more costs for the future. So it is something that needs to be addressed okay. uh, as a matter of urgency. Right. It's a pleasure as always, Catherine. Thank you for that. Have a lovely day and thanks for Thank joining you. us. You too. Good Appreciate morning it. to you. Bye bye. That is the wonderful Catherine Cox of uh, Family Carers Ireland calling on the government uh, to tackle loneliness. But shocking to think that in that EU study that came out in June, we here in Ireland, of all of the EU countries, we have the highest percentage of people who said that every day of their lives they're lonely. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul text calls. You can text your WhatsApp to oh eight six two. 103, 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, I have no shame in admitting that one of my guilty pleasures on social media has got to be the videos uploaded by a very proud Cork man, Pat Fitzpatrick. Now, while his name may not be familiar to you, his musings under his alter ego, Reggie from the Black Rock Road will be and to discuss uh, some up and coming events he's hosting in the county. I'm delighted to say Reggie from the Black Rock Road uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Pat, a.k.a. Reggie. 
Oh, I'm on the wrong line. Hi, Patricia, by the way. Hi, good morning to you. You're welcome. Does does Richie fi- does Richie find it hard to move out of the south side and honour us with his presence in the county towns? Well, he's kind of he's he's had a bit of experience by going to the north side. He's played in the Everyman before. Um, the only way he'd have gone to the county towns would be going down to Crookhaven. But he'd be driving very quickly through the West Cork villages in case he made eye contact with the locals or anything. You know, he, he wouldn't want any of that. Uh, North Cork is an absolute wilderness to him. So, you know, he'd, he'd be nervous about that in Bantir. And of course, East Cork, then you'd have a lot of Northsiders on the beaches down there in Gary Vaux with their greyhounds. He'd be nervous about that as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's a, big, it's a big thing for him, but it's, it's worth it. It's, it's giving back to the people of Ireland. He's running for president in 2025. Now, you feel Reggie would make a good president of Ireland. Would he be better or on par with Michael D? Well, of course he would, because he's from Cork. Um, Michael D's from Limerick. Did you know that? I did. He kept that for- yeah, I didn't know. He kept that fairly quiet. He always gives the impression he's from Galway. Mind you, if I was from Limerick, I'd pretend I was from Galway as well or, or anywhere else. Like, no, seriously, the population of Limerick is 7 million, Patricia, but they can't get anyone to admit it on the census form. So, um, so yeah, that, that's obviously the first thing. And I bet, you know, Reggie would bring a bit of panache and a bit of class. And there'd be no boring talk about human rights or arts or any, you know, supporting the arts or anything like that. Would, it'd just be all good fun. Would there be a bit of poetry? Michael D is great. Oh God, no! Maybe the odd limerick because <laughs> you know limericks are good crack, but not a poem because poems. I mean, you ever poets are very selfish people. They don't ever talk about themselves. So no. And and you. By the way, can I just put out, Reggie won't be moving to Dublin, obviously. I, I was. No, I, that was going to be my next question. I mean, if 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 Reggie somehow got voted in, would you? What about Orson Uthron? Well, as Reggie would say himself, there's no way I'm moving to a tiny little villa, uh, you know, villa up in the north side of Dublin when I have a 6.8 million euro mansion on the Black Rock Road. So I think the plan is that he just let it out on Airbnb, you know, make a nice bit of money that way. Um, not a word to the revenue, like you no know, one declares their Airbnb to the revenue. Um, <laughs> but no, there's no way he'd be moving there. So it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's kind of move a bit of government to have operations a, out of Dublin. It'd be lovely to have a president living on the, on the Black Rock Road. Now, take us back. How, mm. uh, Reggie, and, and it, it, it came out of your examiner piece from Ask Audrey, but did it really right. take off because of the pandemic? Was was that when it really yeah, took flight? Yeah, like I was, we were doing, uh, with a group of people who were doing on a podcast on a rival radio station. So we were, Brought, we were kind of recording that the Ask Audrey column that's in the Examiner every Friday and just putting that up. Um, and Reggie was a minor character in that. We'd be writing in with his problems, dealing with Northsiders and people from Douglas down on the Black Rock Road. And then during the pandemic, a big thing for him was all these people coming down the marina. And then I started making videos. The, you know, during the pandemic, we, there was nothing to do. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just put up a few videos about the difficulties of a, you know, beautifully spoken millionaire putting up with all types of people coming down the marina and they just kind of got traction. And actually, you know, for the for the, the few weeks that's in it, it was run, run, Rogara. Remember when they reopened the county bounds? Yeah. So in terms of travel, you were allowed, you were allowed to travel to, travel, to another yeah, county. Yeah. And I kind of did a warning video to people from Limerick and, and Kerry to not be taking this as an opportunity to go to Cork. And... <laughs> That got a lot of traction. I think Ronan O'Gara retweeted that. And then it just, that just kind of took off from there, really. And it just, you know, and I think people were very aware of where they lived during the pandemic. You know, mm. they were very aware of their local area in a way they might have been before because you were kind of restricted to it. So any humour about areas, and that's what Reggie's obsessed with, the Black Rock Road and the difference between that and, say, Douglas or the North Side or Colchis, worse again, you know, so... All that stuff. So I think the, the timing was right. And do you live on the Black Rock Road? 
I do not. <laughs> I mean, no. I'm down wearing belly cotton. <laughs> I'm, um, yeah. But, do, but, but do Reggie, you, <laughs> Reggie wouldn't do, wouldn't Reggie wouldn't have me as his chauffeur. <laughs> but do, do you get recognised and ultimately slagged when you're out and about? You would, yeah. But people, I, you know, people are really good natured. I've always tried to keep Reggie on the right side of being nasty. Do you know what I mean? Like you, a character like that can be nasty as well. But I've always tried to keep him as a kind of a jolly oaf more than anything. And then people kind of, yeah, people have been really nice. I've had no negative reactions or anything. And people would be shouting at you, you know, God, you're a long way from the Black Rock Road. I, would, I remember because I was I was living in Cork City a couple of years ago and I'd go cycling say, up and down the marina, you know, because you could, there was nothing else to do during the pandemic. And people are going, where's your house now? Do you live near here? So people do think <laughs> that I live on the Black Rock Road. And I wonder, but, uh, no, I don't, oh. I don't know, very, I know very, it's kind of a fictional Black Rock Road, really. Yeah, yeah. There's, Reggie's there's, house, you can't, you can only see it from space. That's all, yeah, that's all. Yeah. You, you, he, has, he has it well um, uh, hidden. And you did some... Fortified, I think, but, is the word, yeah. <laughs> You had some, yeah, for fearing the North Siders will get into you. You did some, um, you had some sellout shows back in March, wasn't it, in the Everyman? Yeah, so we've had two now. There was um, 2021 with An Evening with Reggie, which was great. And then last year, again, we had another, another run um, in the Everyman with Reggie's Guide to Social Climbing, which, by the way, Patricia, I have a book coming out in October, Reggie's right. Guide to Social Climbing. So do mind giving your mother a scarf now or whatever people give their, their mothers a, a for Christmas? Reggie's Guide to Social Climbing is what they want. Well, get that book into um, us and we definitely will, will, will talk to you about it. But how did the... Yeah, so that's how, out in October. But yeah. how did the shows go? I mean, it's, it's very very different from making videos to suddenly well, getting up I on stage. That, like, I think dealing with the everyman was the, was the key in a way because they introduced me to people who knew what they were doing because I had no clue. So Pat Kiernan, who's director with Cork Adorka, took over directing it and basically kind of guided me through the process of doing a live show. Um, and we rehearsed it like we really did. So this now is the first one. This Reggie for President tour is the first one I'm doing myself. But, you know, I think I've kind of learned the ropes in terms of what can make um, a live show work. And this is a more intimate show. It's, it's going to be smaller crowds. Um, and, you know, you never know a lucky member of the audience might get up and kind of, because I'd be trying to find out what, what the ordinary people of Ireland are like, Patricia. Yeah, yeah I was um, going to ask that too. Do you interact with the audience? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, obviously, you don't want to get too close because you never know what you catch off of them. But, um, <laughs> like, I'll be, yeah, so yeah, I, the whole idea is, like, that Reggie's gone out to, because, you know, he, he's never met an ordinary person in his life. He doesn't even talk to his gardener, but he, he you know, in, he has to because they all have a vote. So he's gone out to kind of find out what their issues are. Um, so he's, can, he's canvassing, really. Oh, yeah. This yeah, is the yeah. campaign trail. This yeah, is Reggie yeah. for president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I know you're going and you've picked some great venues. Uh, the, the, the Sea Church in Ballycotton is fantastic. That's sold out, by the way. On the, That's the, sold out the in October, the 13th. Now, I, um, the the Glen good people Theater. of Cantork. Yeah. Oh, you're going to, you're coming to Cantor? Yeah. The Glen Theatre. I, I didn't realise. Reggie, Reggie didn't realise that Bantir was a village. He thought it was just a railway station. But um, oh, there's the oh. lovely Glen Theatre. <laughs> the lovely Glen Theatre up in Bantir. And I was talking to the con up there fantastic so yeah um, November the I think that's November, November 4th. the 4th yeah people are very proud of the Glen Theatre may I just point out it's a oh, wonderful it's wonderful no, it's theatre brilliant. and they've been brilliant to deal with and I'm really looking forward to it and going up around there because you know Reggie wouldn't have been up around that neck of the woods and I think there'll be a great crack up there, there. They will. but it's it's great it's just a brilliant facility up there and then Connolly's in Lep um, oh. in October 25th I think that one is okay 
uh, or November the 25th, sorry. And then I have another one. I'm actually in the Everyman again next year, but that's that's into into April of next year. And there'll be one more gig, I think, in Monkstown in the city um, just before Christmas. We haven't quite announced that yet, but... I but love. Definitely I actually, look, if, if you if you want Reggie to come to your town, I'm here. Reach for you. out, oh. reach out. Connolly's of Lep, uh, Connolly's of Lep is is a venue I know well and 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 I adore. Um, that'll be fun. They're lovely. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun down in West. Well, and the whole idea is that they'll be kind of wrapped around you. You know, the crowd are right there. Be different to the, the, the every man where it's very much you're on the stage and the audience is out in front of you and they can't really you know hard to kind of make. It's great. I love the everyone, but you know this is going to be much more. Oh, you contact. Yeah, that's great. Kind of that's great. Those intimate, close, intimate yeah. gigs are fantastic. Listen, it's always a pleasure. Get the yeah. book into us. As, uh, we certainly will have you back on to chat about the book. Good luck with uh, the gig. I'd, I'll talk to you again, Patricia. Thanks and, a million. And good luck man. with Thank your you. run for um, for the President of Ireland. Uh, and I'm I, I guarantee Absolute you, sure. I guarantee you there will be votes. <laughs> Somebody will put a box down on a ballot paper with Reggie from the Black Rock Road. I I'd guarantee. say there's every chance I'd beat Bertie Ahern. Oh, 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 every oh, chance. Reggie, a.k.a. Pat Fitzpatrick, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thanks and thanks uh, for joining us. A couple of texts in asking me to give a mention to some things and people. Firstly, Patrick O'Callaghan has been on to say, would you give a plug, please, to our up and coming local history talk in Ascara Historical Society, presenting a talk by well-known Dunamore historian, that's John O'Connell. It's happening this Friday at Bearings National School at eight o'clock. And the topic is going to be John Healy. Who is John Healy? A whiskey peddler? North Frontier Trader also many references to this famous slash infamous historical Cork uh, family and thank you to uh, Pat for that that's happening Bearings National School on Friday night if you want to go along to that event by Inascara Historical Society and Jerry has been on to say Patricia would you please congratulate Mitchellstown Minor Girls football team why they won the North Cork Championship last night but just on an aside point says Jerry. perhaps Perhaps John Paul could find out who in their right mind decided that they would ask the girls to travel to Knocknagree last night for the game. In the middle of a school week, bearing in mind many of the girls playing would be leaving search students. It seems crazy to bring them all to Knocknagree last night. I don't know if anybody knows the reason why that at North Cork Championship match last night, why it was held in Knocknagree. If anyone can tell us, uh, Jerry thinks it was an utterly mad decision. 0818 and see some texts coming in for Peter Dowdle. He'll be answering your gardening questions. So keep those gardening questions uh, coming in, please, if you have a question for Peter. Let me go back to some of your calls and comments, though, that have been coming in all morning. We mentioned uh, prenups earlier. Uh, we were speaking with the Irish Farmers Journal and they did a survey on prenups uh, showing that a lot of farmers, if they were speaking to younger farmers who are getting married, they would suggest that they should sign some kind of a prenup, even though we know in law uh, prenups are not uh, recognised. But I know there's a work going on to try to have them recognised in law. But I was making the point, it doesn't seem very romantic, does it? When you're about to get married to the love of your life at the time and you're suddenly talking about what happens if something goes uh, wrong. But anyway, it seems some people do sign up to uh, prenups. But John O'Donovan was on to us from the city and he says he actually knows of people whose parents will not sign over the farm at the moment, even though they've probably retired themselves from farming as the son or daughter is doing all the work. But some older parents won't do it because of fear that something could go wrong in uh, the marriage and therefore the farm 
could be at risk. John says he's actually in favour of uh, prenups and he says particularly if it is a family farm and something that has been built up, why should somebody who comes into that situation take half of it if the marriage doesn't work? He also reckons if he was making laws around prenups, he would put a clause in that if anyone has an affair or cheats, then they get nothing and that that would be contained in the prenup. But I think we're in a very different era today, I think, to say what we were maybe even 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. You have a lot of people getting married today. People are getting married uh, later than what they did, say, in their early 20s. People are well into their 30s now getting married. Take, for example, it's a family farm and it's the man. Now, it can also be the woman, but let's, for argument's sake, say it is the man. And you have a female marrying in to that farm. It's very possible that that woman coming in to that family farm would have had property herself that she sells and she brings that asset in with her. And therefore, if the marriage, God forbid, goes wrong, and we know marriages break up for a whole variety of different reasons. They're not always to do with affairs, John, but they break down for a whole host of different reasons. It seems very unfair that even though that person might have brought a very valuable asset into the farm, which is the business, it seems very unfair that that person would have to walk away without uh, nothing. Now, I can understand a family farm that's been in a farm for generations and God knows that has happened in the past. Um, a marriage breaks down and somebody who maybe didn't bring anything from from a financial, from an asset point of view into the marriage and suddenly the farm has to be split up or it has to be sold because it just wouldn't be viable to, to split it up. It, it can cause huge, huge problems uh, for people. I don't know what the easy solution is to it, but I just don't know about prenups. I just think when you're starting out in a married life together, you like to think that everything is going to go uh, according to uh, plan. 0818 103 says, oh, this is on the scoliosis and the poor, the poor children who are, as we speak, in absolute agony every day of their little lives waiting to get into hospital to have the scoliosis uh, operations. Mary says, she reckons this was about 25 years ago. A girl who Mary knew obviously was a teenager at the time and she underwent a major operation for scoliosis and it was at Cork University uh, Hospital. Now, Mary says we're talking about a time when it would have been the old Southern Health Board before the HSE was instigated. She says the operation was 100% successful. So it feels to Mary what she's listening to all these stories about the waiting lists and now the big in, in inquiry that's going on about these operations by one particular surgeon in uh, Dublin. She has this sense and this feeling like we're going backwards with the HSE. She feels the HSE is a monster full of directors and assistant directors i.e. they're top heavy. She said that she would compare it to an inverted triangle. So if you can imagine a triangle upside down, it's top heavy with management and then it is a skeleton of real workers on the ground. Mary feels that is a real shame as the old saying goes, well is it too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Mary feels that's what's going on with the uh, HSE but they were able to do here in Cork whereas now I think all of those scoliosis operations because we're told this spinal surgery it's you know it's very specialised and that we don't even have a lot of consultants and surgeons
students who can do that type of work, which is obviously adding to the problem now. Hearing that one of the one of the people who would do who was doing that work is now on leave, not suspended, but on leave. So it's just going to add further delays to people wait, whose children are waiting to go in to get a date for the operation. Now we spoke about loneliness uh, earlier on as well. This is somebody who wants to tie in loneliness and well, tying starts talking about loneliness but ends up going into greed. To say, Patricia, it's hard to imagine uh, in our little country that so many people are are suffering from loneliness. But what I would like to highlight today and bring up something completely different is the issue of greed because I can't think of any other word for it. Now, I'm not naming particularly the the cafe that this listener wants me to name because I'd have to get on to them and I'd have to find out why they're charging, what they're charging and all of that. But basically just to say this listener says, was out and about last week with a friend and decided that they'd pop in for a cup of coffee. The cafe that they picked were charging €4.50 for a single scone. If you wanted to have a cup of coffee with that single scone, it was going to be a further €3.50. So that would have been €8 for a cup of coffee and a scone. God, that does seem expensive. Please don't mention to me the VAT uh, increase because all other outlets have have the same VAT increase and yet not everybody is charging €8 for a single scone and a cup of coffee. Recently I went into now I will name this because this is a good news story Drina Co-op in Skibbereen coffee shop was full of people I wonder why could it be to do with their pricing structure? My friend had a lovely scone and a latte for €5.20. I ended up having a beautiful toasted special. It came with four fillings and had a cup of coffee. Guess what? I got it all for under €7. Euro. I think places that are overcharging should be called out and premises named. Signed a disillusioned Inna Shannon uh, listener. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm always, because businesses are struggling and they're finding it so hard and cost of everything is, has gone up and why are some able to do it and others are not? I don't know what the answer to that is. But I do know that electricity prices, gas prices, insurance prices, paying staff, everything has gone up. It's so hard for our businesses. That's why I'm always so slow to knock any business because, we, you know, unless I can see their books and they can actually, we can actually prove that it is down to greed. But some people will say that. But you did the right thing. If if you want to go somewhere and you're not happy with the prices, then do the right thing and, and go somewhere else where you are. And I would also point out to the premises why you're deciding not uh, to to eat there is because you feel that it's too expensive. And maybe ask them, maybe engage in conversation to say, you know, how come you're charging that much when I can get it somewhere else uh, for three euro less? 0818-103-103. Let me go back on loneliness. Michael says, Patricia, loneliness has developed massively, especially in rural Ireland, and it's happened over the last number of years. The days of night walking, card playing in a neighbour's house, the old tales filled with folklore are waning rapidly. Are in most places, they've disappeared completely. Modern day gadgets like the TV, the mobile phone, etc. Nowadays, most rural people have only the dog or the cat or their animals to talk to. Today, neighbours could be dead and buried and some wouldn't even know about it. Rural Ireland has been let down so badly by so many successive governments. If they had a magic wand, Michael reckons, they'd get rid of rural Ireland in uh, the morning. But is it up to those of us that live in rural Ireland to make sure 
that we look out for our neighbours and friends. Even though when Catherine Cox was talking to us from Family Carers Ireland, she was making the point, it's not just in rural Ireland, you can have somebody living in the middle of a built up city and they can be as lonely as somebody who lives at the end of a dirt track in a very, very rural uh, area. Is it all of us as society, do we need to look out for each other? And I think when we're addressing carers in particular, uh, I know it was the loneliness task force, they represent all different uh, groups, but obviously Catherine was coming at it from family carers. I think the problem with family carers, uh, because of the nature of the work they're doing, they are locked indoors. They don't get to go out and about because they can't leave the loved one that they're looking after. So that's, that's a very different problem that can only be addressed through getting proper respite services, proper home support services and making that available to the people who are doing the caring. Thank you for your text. Michael Mossy in West Cork says Patricia regarding loneliness. Some people live alone and get on well in their own company. There's a number of options and opportunities that people should take, particularly if they are suffering from loneliness. For example, try meditation. Your contributor on Monday spoke so highly about meditation and remember, listen to your inner voice. Secondly, write down your thoughts and emotions and get stuff off your chest. Listen to that inner voice again. Talk out your issues with a reliable person. A problem shared, remember, is a problem halved. Make sure you exercise. Make sure you have a good diet. A good diet that makes your mood and emotions feel good. Thanking you. And that's from Massey in West Cork, who believes even if you are suffering loneliness, to try to help yourself in some way. Back on prenups, Mairead was on to say there are some people who would, for an opportunity, marry into a farm. Once they're in, they know their entitlements. I would be, I'm very much in favour of prenups. So if somebody comes in, why should they get half of everything? Many have no interest in outside work on the farm. I would hate to think that there is anyone that would deliberately marry somebody and particularly something like a family farm and would marry into it seeing ching signs and just seeing euro signs over the head of the person they are marrying. According to Mairead, it can and does uh, happen. And calling out good uh, value uh, Joan said her oh, 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 this is oh yeah it's coffee and a scone uh, Joan said my husband spent four euro and seventy cent for a takeaway coffee and a scone it was at an outlet in uh, Douglas so or oh, just the coffee oh no scone okay so there are other people who are overcharging is that more than the one I heard from from the lady in in Shannon what was the coffee 3 euro 50 okay that's even higher so there's one uh, a takeaway coffee 4 euro 70 so it, de- it very much depends on where you go 0818103103 get your gardening questions into us please text or whatsapp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Supervalue in Boerbury. They're holding a coffee morning tomorrow morning in Supervalue between 9am and 12.30 and it's an aid of Marymount Hospice. Everybody welcome and please uh, support. Also on tomorrow, Dukas Flanakilty Heritage are hosting a public talk by Robert Devoy of UCC. It's on the effects of the Lisbon tsunami 
1755, which altered much of the coastline landscape of West Cork, would you believe, and other areas. It'll be held in Clonakilty GAA Pavilion Thursday night at half past uh, eight. Now, admission is five euro at the door and no pre-booking is uh, required. And Kinsale Cultural and Heritage Society will host a lecture on the Battle of Kinsale. Now, it'll be given by Dr Herman Morgan, who's head of the School of History in UCC. That's also on Thursday night, 8 o'clock in the Temperance Hall in uh, Kinsale. And there will be a coffee evening in aid of Marymount Hospice on Friday night at in Ballydaly Hall from 8pm to 10 midnight. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, as we've been hearing all morning on our news uh, bulletins, parents of children who attended preschool on the north side of Cork City have now been told that the facility will not reopen until next year before five in Churchfield closed with immediate effect last uh, month when, as we heard on the programme, parents and guardians were contacted by text message. Local Sinn Féin councillor Mick Nugent uh, joins me on this um, uh, particular issue. Good afternoon to you, Mick. Uh, Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, since the closure was announced last uh, month, we do know that Northside Community Enterprises said they would take it over. Was it hoped that the preschool would reopen in the coming months? Um, that would have been our hope, uh, Patricia, that, you know, I suppose would be an expectation that would happen. Um, we actually, we met Monday, a number of the public representatives in the area, we met Monday with the staff and their trade union representative and it was agreed at that meeting then that there would be a letter co-signed by the four Cocknar Central TDs and the six councillors in the city northwest area to write to the NCE and Cox City Childcare just to kind of suggest a meeting as soon as with the public reps, with the staff, the trade union reps and even a number of the parents as well. Just trying to get more definitive timelines on the return of all the services there at the Family Centre in Shortfield, but also as well when the process starts, recruitment process will start. I mean, with the hope that the old, a lot, most of the outgoing, if not all the outgoing staff would eventually get positions back there, you know. In the meantime, then, the statement has come out from from the NCE. So I think there was a realisation Monday, Patricia, at the meeting that uh, Tom School had some information as well that it could be December or January. Um, I think there was a realisation there that this could take longer than we might have all thought, you know, and that's been confirmed now by the NCE. Um, and the NCE are saying the yeah. reason is due to necessary survey works and subsequent yeah. maintenance work on the building. Is the building in very bad repair? I wouldn't have thought so, um, Patricia. Like there was mention of fire doors and that, but it was said by the staff that was done within the last, you know, within the last year. And having been in the building now, I wouldn't have an expert eye maybe and wouldn't have been looking for it. I have been in the building a couple of times, a few times over the years, you know, recent years. I wouldn't have thought so. I'm only thinking and, and presuming that with a new provider there and they need to do their own scoping and, you know, regulations and that. All providers are saying regulations with Tusla and that is, you know, it's quite strict, you know, but... Like but the staff are kind of saying the same I, thing I, as I you... Pre- but this building mm. was operating as a preschool yes, up to June, up indeed. to June. So it would have been, yeah. you know, Tusla would have been in, Hikwa would have been in. I mean, yes. if it operated as, as a preschool in June, how suddenly between mm. June and September 
does it need to have so much maintenance work that would close it for the bones of a year? That's that's a good question. Um, that's a good question. It's a question that staff and parents are asking. Um, I think it's something we need to flesh out if we meet the NCE um, face-to-face and Coxley Child Care. Uh, that's a good question. It was operating all the time and would had you know, all the inspections and all that. So why would it take so long? Um like if it was December, was kind of, December January was mentioned to Thomas. So you know a number of that's a number of months. But our parents are kind of saying and staff, you know, if it's January, if it's twenty twenty four, does that mean January or does that mean a new term next? Does September? it mean September? Does it mean you a know? full a full year closed? And in that's the, the in the meantime, the um, uh, Mick, have families managed to find? alternative preschool places for their children and especially have they managed to find it locally? Uh, Some have, some have and looking at social media I know there's other providers um, still advising people that they have a number of spaces, not many a number of spaces so um, some have found other places, Um, others are holding on, or were holding on in the hope that the before five family centre there would be open very quickly, you know. Um, there's a number of parents with, tr- with children with additional needs we're hoping um, before five will be open soon because, you know, there's a certain degree courses there and trained staff that could, um, you know, look after their children and that those pl- those type of spaces mightn't be there elsewhere. Don't Coxie Childcare advising parents with children with additional needs um, to contact them and they'll help them look elsewhere. But there's still, I know there's still children with additional needs, haven't found other places yet, you know. And children with additional needs, uh, children with additional needs make continuity of care and keeping things familiar is so important to them. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a parent there who has been very active from the start, um, down in Cambridge, and she has spoken on your sister station, 96. Um, Patricia, Donna actually would give you a very good outline, you know, of how... Her, her son Jackson, even in the last number of weeks, few weeks, she sees him slipping backwards, oh, you know. Um, yeah, he's he's non-verbal, but he was getting, uh, you know, Donna had somewhere else for Jackson, but she was moving him to before five because of this AIM um, uh, course service that, that they, the that they were would, offering. That they yeah, were yeah, yeah. So and then, Mick, she, Mick, you know, what of what the, the staff? As, as far as I remember, there's 14 staff uh, members. Staff, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. very hard to ask them to wait anything up to a year. We, do, we don't know uh, reopening in 2024, as you say. It could be anything from January right up to next September. It's very hard to ask them to wait anything up to a year without work, isn't it? It is, it is. And, you know, like depends as well on how many children. It's just, for for example, if the service does open, say, in, in January, it, 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 it depends on how many children, how many parents register their children there because it's kind of a ratio of staff per, per child. So um, I suppose the concern would be would all the outgoing staff get positions immediately. But we were kind of saying Monday, and the staff are saying themselves Monday, for them, um, the key thing was getting the service, getting a new centre open, a new provider as soon as possible. There'd be positions for some staff that then parents would start coming back with their children. And over time, um, hopefully not too long, we get back a full complement there and all the outgoing staff would eventually get positions back there. 
that was kind of the hope um, Monday morning when we met the staff, Patricia, but we just need to kind of re- make sure that happens now, you know, but there's a bit of work to be done there yet. Some of the staff, have they been there many years, Mick? There's been staff there, there's been a number of staff there have been there 20, over 20, wow. 20, 30 years. 20, 30 years and I mean, look, as I said, the other thing we were talking about is Northside Community Enterprises were saying, look, our immediate aim is to get the, the creche and the preschool back, but also that we that they would commit to the other services there, because it's really a kind of a family centre, it's really an institution actually in the Northside because you've other you know, you've the after school, you had parent and children classes, play therapy, and also adult education courses were going on there as well, you know. So it was and a all, of home. The, all of them are gone. All of them are gone, all of them are gone. So we were saying Monday at the meeting is important, absolutely vital we get the preschool and creche open as soon as, but all the other services that would come follow back. on, yeah, would follow on. Okay. That, yeah, so it's, okay, it's, so we know, wait it returns this, to Ottawa as a family centre, you know. We wait for this survey to take, uh, to get underway and then God knows what the survey will throw up um, and, and we wait to see what the maintenance work is required on the building. Yeah, we're hoping, look, that we're hoping that, and I know Thomas, uh, Thomas Goulto was telling the, the parents and staff and that, um, the staff Monday morning that there has you know there's there's there is uh, people over there at the moment you know there is people over there working like so you'd be hoping Patricia that it wouldn't take you know that there wouldn't be a lot of work to be done either mm. um it's all there you know so I'm presuming there's a checklist there and you know the fire doors have to be checked and everything checked for um Tusla and everybody else's um you know that regulations and everything every box box is ticked okay well as as so i said that, as i said at know, the outset the fact that it was there as a preschool up to last june i can't see how the regulations would have changed that much over the summer that would yes, require an awful lot of work we listen keep us updated on this making in the meantime thank you thank you for joining us Thanks very much. Uh, good, good afternoon to you. That is local uh, City Sinn Féin councillor Mick uh, Nugent. Just on, pl- is this on ploughing? It is uh, Finbar from Bantry. So Patricia, I heard of a, a Bantry lady who went to the ploughing yesterday. She decided to pay cash at the gate and she was charged an extra five euro. It's a scandalous decision in my view. Cash is king. Uh, well, anyone who paid at the gate, even if you paid on a card at the gate, uh, Finbar, we were told it was an extra uh, five euro. It's 25 euro if you book online. But anyone who pays at the gate, be it by card or by uh, cash had to pay an extra uh, five uh, euro and, and I don't know why. Well, I do. Um, the, the reason for it is to try to encourage people uh, to book online rather than wait until you get to the uh, gate. Hi Patricia, as a parent that had two girls go through before five in Churchfield, we couldn't speak highly enough of all of the staff at that centre. Uh, I wonder have they set up a fundraising page because I'm sure loads of people uh, would love to uh, help them out. Yeah, I think, uh, thank you for that. Not even the current cohort of parents, but anyone who's ever, like your good self, who's had a child go through the centre. Everybody speaks about what an important facility it is. But it doesn't seem to be down to funding at this stage. It seems to be down to the Northside Community Enterprise who have taken it over. They're saying that they need to do survey work to make sure the building is up to scratch. And then out of that then will come, we assume, necessary maintenance work. Or maybe they'll do the survey and and find out that everything's okay. There's no work to be done at all. Uh, We will keep you updated on it. And Michael says, hi, Patricia. 
just want to make your listeners aware of a scam email that's doing the rounds to pu- purporting to be from AIR asking you to revalidate your email account. I've sent you on the email that I got yesterday. I'll take a look at that when I come off air. But says Michael, he did the correct thing. He rang AIR on a number that he knows is air and they immediately told him it is a scam. So keep a lookout for that. It's an email coming out to people asking you to validate your email account. Please be very, very careful. Never click on a link. And if there's a number on a text or an email or even a message asking you to call a particular number, never use the numbers that they give you. Uh, actually contact the bank in this case, the phone provider, the electricity provider, whoever it is, revenue, there's been scams to do with revenue, contact them only on a number that you know is a genuine phone number for that organisation. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Peter Dadwell, the Irish uh, joining us this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trisha. Welcome, welcome back. And thank you very much. Thank you very much. And actually, the sun is starting to shine here, so uh, hopefully the rain has uh, abated uh, a little bit. OK, still lots of things to be done in the garden and lots of questions uh, coming in. I love this one from Alison. She needs to move a rose bush. It was planted about 15 uh, years ago. Um, it's of sentimental value, so she really wants to make sure that this rose bush uh, moves well because her late granny gave it to her as a present some 15 uh, years ago. Uh, tips, please on how to move it. Yeah, I love I love questions like this too because uh, when something means so much and it's lovely because she, every time she thinks uh, looks at the rose, I've no doubt she thinks of, of the granny that gave it to her. So the, the most important thing to do when you're moving it is the right time of the year. Roses will transplant quite successfully but you have to do it at the right time of the year. So uh, if it's, you know, if it's 15 years or more in the one spot, it's very well established so you have to do it during the months, December, January, February at latest, but December, January, I would say when the winter is at its coldest uh, and the plant is fast asleep, if you like, it's very dormant because it's inevitable when you take anything out of the ground that has been in it that long, you're going to cause root damage, a certain amount of root damage. Uh, and if you did it, let's say, for example, today, that rose needs every drop of water that it can get at the moment. So you're, if you damage the roots, you're, you're really going to kill the plant. Doing it during the winter when the plant is dormant, it means that the rose, the root system has a, a chance to repair that damage before it comes into active growth in the spring. So there's no real trick to it. Just get, it's a, roses have a kind of a long taproot. So you're going to have to dig quite deep to get all the taproot out. It's not going to actually have to be that wide because you'll find the, the lateral roots coming off it aren't that, they're not that extensive. The most important thing is get as much of that taproot out as you can. Cut it back very, very hard. Don't be scared that you're cutting it back too hard you certainly won't damage it from cutting it back too hard um, so I've no idea what size it is at the moment but I would probably cut it back to less than a foot above the ground and get as much of the root out as possible December, January into its new home no, no time out of the ground get it into its new home or, or if that's not possible get it into a pot uh, and do that immediately and keep it very well watered next year. But I'd be fairly confident that that will move very successfully. Yeah, I think it. roses are hardy enough. I think people have this, I think because they're such a beautiful flower, people seem to think, oh, I'd never be able to grow roses. They have, they've, they've got bad press, if you like, of being yeah. high maintenance and they're really far from it. I know where it comes from because back in the day, the, you know, when there were less rose varieties around, they used to get black spot and, and mildew and they still do to a degree. But But a lot of people at the time used to make a, a mountain out of that when it's not necessary. Roses really are. I mean, they're tough as old boots, really. Do you know? Mm. Actually, it was the one thing when I was away. I was in um, Ibiza um, last week, and I was looking at the most stunning uh, roses. Um, they don't seem to have black spot. 
Is that because they don't have the rain? Is, is that down to the rain? <laughs> That's exactly it. it. it like, yeah. it's the black spot and mildew and all these are fungal problems and we have warm, damp weather and ideal yeah. for fungal. Uh, Abita, I imagine, is less damp than Ireland. Yeah, very, very, very less damp. Stay with, <laughs> stay with roses because Mary has what she describes as, as a citrus sunset rose rock, but she said it's gone very leggy and she's wondering if she cuts it back hard, will it bud again? It's it, it's it's only technicality now, but it's not citrus. It's cistus, C I S. Just just not to confuse anybody who might be listening. The cistus are one of these plants, a bit like hebes and a bit like lavender. I kind of put them all into the same group. That they they give great value in the garden. They're constantly flowering. They're beautiful plants. Um, very simple flower on the cistus. The sunset pink, lovely pink flower with a yellow center, but. The, the, they do need a bit of maintenance. So they do need to be trimmed regularly to keep them bushy and to stop them from getting leggy. Because what happens is when they get leggy, like she's describing, uh, and you go and cut them back hard to, to bush them out again, I'm afraid they won't tolerate it. That's the bad news. So no, if you cut it back hard, it won't regenerate. Uh, all you can do is, is trim it. So you could do it gradually, but trim it now, but make sure you're leaving greenery below where you trim. So it might only be an inch you're taking off, but that will force it to green up slightly lower down and then you can take another inch off. So it's a gradual process. You could do it. Um, but if you do it all in one go and prune it hard, no, it'll just die, I'm afraid. Catherine wants to know, is now the right time to take cuttings of lavender? And if so, how does she go about it? Well, tune in to, to today with, with myself and Dahi and Artie next week and I'll be taking cuttings of lavender and I'll show her. Okay. Right? Right. So yes, now, now, now is the time to do it. Um, and you take it, take with lavender, you take about three inches of this year's growth. It's a, so it's what's called a, a semi-ripe cutting. Um, you could have done it earlier in the summer too, anytime really from June, July, but it's still not too late, particularly with the temperatures we're still having. Uh, take, take about a three inch cutting, which is on a node. The base of the cutting needs to be a node, which is where the leaf meets the stem. Remove the bottom leaves, but don't don't be inclined to kind of peel them off because that peels some of the stem as well. So actually cut them off with the scissors. Remove what we call the terminal bud, which is just the, the growing tip, if you like, um, because you don't want the energy going into that. You want the energy to concentrate on the node where the auxins are, and that will hopefully develop root system. So you're about a three inch cutting. You leave about half an inch of foliage on the top, which means you have about two to two and a half inches of bare stem into a small bit of rooting powder and a pot or a sea tray full of compost uh, and off you go. They should root still quite easily. It's all about uh, moving and taking cuttings today because Kath needs to move a five foot lilac tree and she wants to know what's the best type of soil for growing lilac. The, well, in terms of moving it, first of all, this is the same answer to that as what I was talking about the rose earlier. Don't dream of doing it now. Wait till uh, December, December, January time before you do it. Unless, of course, it is in a pot. If it's in a pot, you can plant it out, no problem. But if you're lifting it out of the ground, wait till December, January. And the lilac, there will be an inherent risk with that because it's very established. And that, unlike the rose, that will have a substantial lateral root system. So you will want to get a, as big a root ball as you can with that one and cut it back hard. Um, the best type of soil is not actually lilac isn't that fussy it just likes a very sunny position and a well-drained soil so it's not fussy particularly in terms of ph most garden soils will do it provided as i say it's a position of of full sun if possible uh, and well-drained okay somebody has pumpkins uh, growing the leaves have died off can she leave the pumpkins in the ground until halloween or do you harvest them now no, absolutely. Leave them on. Uh, leave them on and they'll still be fattening up and getting a bit bigger. If if anything happens, like if they start to get a bit soft or if there's insect damage or anything attacking them, then harvest them. But otherwise, no, I would leave them on for as long as you want. 
Okay, lots of people asking about cutting back uh, roses, but I think we've dealt, we've well dealt with that one. Uh, Joe and Bannon Hasick wants to propagate gorse. Is now a good time? Do you know, I've never in all my life propagated gorse or been asked that question. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> thinking the same thing when I saw it. It's a very unusual question. It is, it is, because it, it spreads so easily. So I've never done it. But yeah, I mean, it's Ulex Europeus, is the correct name, European gorse. And like, it is um, something that you would grow, to the best of my knowledge, from a, a semi-ripe cutting, like I was describing with the lavender there earlier. So it'll be a nodal semi-ripe cutting, which is just, it'll also grow, of course, very easily from seed, as we know, which is why it's so widespread around the countryside and beautiful in early summer. Um, so... You would take a cutting, just be very, very careful, of course, because it's going to cut the hands off you. Uh, be very careful. But uh, you take with, with the gorse, I would take, four, where I was saying the lavender, you'd want two or three inches of a cutting. With the gorse, you'd take probably more like a four or five inch cutting on the node. Uh, again, with the scissors, remove most of the needles and, and leaves on it into a bit of rooting powder. And I would say you wouldn't even need the rooting powder. I'd say it would root away very, very easily. And would you have any idea why somebody planted two conifers? They came out, uh, each came out of pots. One was planted on a ditch and the other was planted on the side of a ditch. The one on the side of the ditch failed. Any idea why? I don't, I'm afraid. Not enough information, really. I'd probably need to see it. And if it failed in year one, in other words, if they were just, let's say, for example, both planted earlier this year, and one failed and one didn't. It could be as simple as lack of water during the last month or something like that. And normally in year one, if a plant fails, it is just lack of water. It's as simple as that because any disorder or disease or any plant health issue would, would normally take much longer to, to actually kill a plant. You'd see it maybe not thriving. But if it dies in the first year, it's normally just something like lack of water. Um, it could be that. But and you, you might say, well, that's very unusual that the one on the ditch would and the, the, the other one wouldn't. It just may have had more water available to it. It could be as simple as that. But it's not something I could give a definite answer to, unfortunately, without really seeing it. OK. And Bernie uh, says that she had a number of plants destroyed by ants. Can you suggest any solution? Do ants damage plants? You see, I'm not altogether sure that they do. So I'm not sure if the plants were destroyed by ants or if it was something else. I mean, obviously ants, by their very number, if they get into a root system, they can cause a bit of damage. But it's it's unusual. It's not something I've I've really heard of. I've heard it mentioned before that ants have done damage, but I'm not altogether convinced that, that it was the ants. Whether or which, I'm afraid, which brings me to the next part of the question, no, I don't have an answer for it. I don't have a magic wand for ants at all, I'm afraid. In the house, absolutely, you don't want ants in your house, and there are things you can do then. But outside the house, in the garden, I'm kind of of the opinion to, to let them alone. It's it's their space as much as ours, you know. Um I don't really, maybe other, somebody else listening might have a, a suggestion for you on ants, but I don't. And in all my years at the garden, uh, it, I think that I'm not even going to use the word problem, but they're, they're a challenge, if you like, that you're not going to beat, I think. Yeah. OK, listen, we leave it there. Have a lovely week and we'll chat again next Wednesday. Uh, and you, Trish, of course. Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Dowdle of the Irishgardener.com. Very quickly, on prenups, uh, Dennis says, my brother was left a section of a farm and on the ground was a farmhouse that he spent a lot of money renovating. Unfortunately, the marriage broke up and his ex-wife is now living in that house that he renovated, which was in the family uh, for over 80 uh, years with her new partner. It just shows the hurt that can cause with marriage breakup indeed. OK, thank you for that, Dennis. OK, that's where we leave you. 
interview for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.